Well, it was in 1996 that the movie Independence Day hit the screens. It was a jaw-dropping special effect type of movie that had the aliens attacking, forcing potential doom of our existence. And despite the odds, there was great resilience and resolve of the people of Earth as the president of the movie, President Whitmore, gave a motivational speech that included these words. We will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. All right, I'm ready to go see the movie. How about you? But fast forward to the year 2016, and the aliens are coming back for Independence Day 2 resurgent. And I'm not going to try to spoil the movie. There are some spoil alerts I will give you ahead of time. Um, the movie was decent, not as good as the first one, in my opinion. But the beginning of the movie reveals a world that had better defenses, but yet they all went back to living life as they always did. They went back to their old routines, to the normalcy that they once knew. And while watching this movie, it made me ponder how many of us who have given our lives to Jesus only have found ourselves going back to our normal routines going back to our normal craziness of life, going back to our same attitudes, going back to the same things that we always have done. And in some way, we have found ourselves becoming enslaved to the world that surrounds us and to our own choices and dealing with the consequences of our own choices and the circumstances of this this world. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians church who was struggling with the same things that we struggle with today. And he wrote these words in chapter 5, verse 1. He said, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. But what does that mean, for freedom that Christ set us free? Well, there was a German theologian named Gustav Adolf Deismann. Try to say that five times, right? Well, he found numerous documents for the freeing of slaves in the ancient times. And the term that Paul uses here for freedom was an extremely well-known phrase. And it was very popular. And the readers in Galatia knew exactly what he meant. Because the procedure that he's talking about called for a slave to save up enough money. And then when they had enough money, they would go to the local temple and they would use the money, the temple would use that money to buy that slave from their owner. And then the slave was at that time the property of the God. And no man could lay any claim against that person ever again. And in fact, on the wall of the temples, it would be recorded for freedom the God had purchased this slave. And in in fact, there's an inscription on the wall at Delphi, which is in Greece, that dates back to around 200 BC that illustrates this. Look at this picture. Here's the wall of Delphi. And somewhere on that wall, there's an inscription that says, Apollo the Pythian bought with Sosibius of Amphisa for freedom, a female slave whose name is Nicaea Hafmina. Former seller, according to the law, was Umnas. Amphisa, the price he hath received, the purchase, however, Nicaea hath committed unto Apollo for freedom. So in other words, all that old language is saying that this slave Nicaea was bought by the god Apollo for freedom. She was no longer the property of the slave owner. She was now property of the god and no one could ever come in and buy her again. 
So when Paul uses this phrase for freedom, what he's really saying is we have been bought. Our price has been paid. And because of that, we are now the property of Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, who ransomed his own life in a horrific way on that cross to pay our debt as a sin. And so for freedom, we have been bought and we are now his property and no man can purchase us away from him. That's what he's saying. So it is for freedom that Christ set us free. But this still takes us back to a very, a very important question. And that is, what is freedom? What is freedom? I mean, let's be honest. What does it look like? I bet it's safe to assume that every person in this room is thinking something different. We all have something in our mind as far as what freedom is for us or what we long for when we want freedom. But honestly, does freedom look like a voter's ballot? Or does it look like someone walking out of prison? Is it, is it seen being able to buy anything that you want in life? Or is freedom the fact that you don't owe anything to anyone? It is absolutely crucial to define what we mean by freedom so that we know what we are looking for and what we're hoping to attain. Because the truth is this, there are two distinctions of freedom. There's freedom, freedom from something and there's freedom to something. And oftentimes, the freedom that we seek is just an end of itself. It becomes a final goal in our life. It's almost like we live for these goals. We live for these things that we attain to achieve. And we believe that when we attain it, freedom will be found. That hope will be secured. For example, look at financial debt. I mean, this is something that many Americans struggle with, and we believe that when we attain freedom from our financial debt, when we pay off all the debt, that we will find freedom. But oftentimes, what I see is we pay, pay off the debt. Maybe we work really hard to pay it off, or, or we play the lottery, and we win big, and we pay it off in one big swoop. But either way, we pay it off. And the goal in our life was to pay off the debt, but our hearts never change. Freedom was never found because freedom was not paying off the debt. Freedom was breaking the, your heart away from the things that got you into debt in the first place because what tends to happen is people achieve their goal, but then all they do is they go back and start doing the very things that they did before that got them in debt in the first place. And then really, they never found freedom. There has to be something more. Jot this down in your notes. True freedom begins in the heart. True freedom begins in the heart. If our hearts are not changed, neither will our behavior change because our behavior follows our hearts. We act on our thoughts and behave according to our own desires. In fact, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 to 35. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil that's stored up in him. We've mentioned this before and I think it's worth noting again. Your life. 
The choices you make and the words that you use that come out of your mouth is a portrayal of what's really within your own heart. Jesus says here, pretty bluntly, what comes out of your life is an indicator of what is in your heart. So can I just ask an honest question? What's stored up in your heart? What's in your heart? Is there pain? Is there resentment? Bitterness? Fear? Joy? What is there? Because oftentimes, those things cause a stranglehold within our heart that determines the choices we make in our life. Now, speaking of this whole alien movie theme, as a kid, I had a tendency to sneak into the TV room on Wednesday nights at 8 o'clock. I don't know where my parents were because I loved this show called Unsolved Mysteries. Did you ever watch that show? I mean, that show gripped me, but I'll have to be honest, it scared me to death. And so imagine, if you will, young Billy Boy, okay? Wednesday nights, 8 o'clock, I run into our TV room, and I turn on the channel to whatever channel that was on, and I was so scared of what was watching. It was night out, and the TV was right next to a window, and I thought for sure whoever saw on TV was going to be standing at that window. And so I was scared of that. So I would turn on the TV, and I ran into our dining room, which was the next room over where you could still get a view of the TV, and I would crawl underneath the dining room table to watch the TV because I could not get enough of the show, but I was scared to death that someone was watching me from the window. Yeah, I was, I was a little weird. And so uh, lo and behold, because of those shows, which was mostly about haunted houses and aliens, I had some interesting dreams in that time period of my life, if you can imagine. And a lot of those dreams had to occur with the alien abductions. I mean, I believed I was going to be abducted. In fact, every morning when I woke up, I would turn over and look at my window. And if I saw that handprint on the window, I'm out of there. Because they've been there. But in my dreams, the aliens came and I was in my backyard. And did you ever have one of those dreams where you're being attacked and it's like you just can't run fast enough? Or you can't run at all and you're just kind of frozen? I mean, that was my dreams. And I just felt kind of stuck as they came to attack me. But, you know, I can't help but to assume that life is like that as well, isn't it? So often we find ourselves completely overwhelmed with the circumstances of life and what surrounds us that we can't run fast enough that sometimes we just can't move, that we're just kind of stuck and we're overwhelmed by the circumstances of this world. And I mean, I turn on the news too. I have junk in my family as well. And it can be difficult some days, can it? When you're overwhelmed by the consequences of this world and you feel completely enslaved and we become enslaved to the consequences and the, and the circumstances that surround us. But Jesus came to give us freedom so that despite our surrounding conditions, we can be free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. But yet I read the Bible and I read stories like Paul and Silas in the book of Acts who were in jail and, and just overwhelmed by the horrific conditions of that day. And despite all the turmoil that they were facing right then in that moment, the Bible says they sat in that jail cell and they sang praises. 
And I read stories like that, and oftentimes I wonder, how can I find that joy? How can I find that freedom? Because I am so overwhelmed by this world that freedom is difficult to see, that freedom is difficult to attain. Are you ever there just like me? I mean, because there has to be more than what this world offers. There has to be more than the freedom that we tend to to run after. Maybe, just maybe, freedom starts in your heart. It starts there before anywhere else in your life. So also, also, jot this down. True freedom is only achieved when our hearts are changed. True freedom is only achieved when our hearts are changed. So one of the big questions today is, what's the status of your heart? What is the status of your heart? As Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, what we just read a moment ago, what is stored in your heart eventually comes out. You plant a good tree with good roots, good fruit comes out. You plant a bad tree with a bad root system, bad fruit comes out. And so your life is an indicator of your heart and true freedom is achieved when our hearts are changed. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is a story about Zacchaeus. This isn't your notes. You can jot down Luke chapter 19. I encourage you to read it sometime. It's really a great story because here's a man, Zacchaeus, that was searching and searching and searching for freedom. But, and when we find him in Luke chapter 19, you can realize he did not find it yet. And Zacchaeus had two things going against him. Number one, he was a tax collector. And so that was a pretty dirty job back then. Now, I I bet many of you guys in this room aren't big fans of the IRS, especially at tax time, right? It was even worse back then because what the tax collectors did at that day and age, they would cheat the people. So they would have these weighing systems and the people would come in and put their money on there and then when it weighed out the certain amount for their taxes, that's what they owed the government. But the tax collectors would fix the system, fix the weighing machines. So let's say you owe the government 10%. Well, the tax collectors would adjust it to 20%. And then that way, whenever you put that on there, it would look like, oh, you you owe 10%. But then what the tax collectors do, they would take that money 10% to the government, 10% to me. And everybody knew they were doing it, but no one could stop them because they were working for the government. And so people viewed them as giving in to the Roman Empire. And they hated them. They despised them. And so I'm, sh- I'm pretty ash- sure that Zacchaeus didn't have too many friends. And the Bible also defines him as a short man. So here we are, Luke chapter 19. Jesus is coming into the town of Jericho. And the place is just overwhelmed by people because it's the height of his popularity, Jesus' popularity. You can just imagine thousands of people that gathered together for this parade, for this one man walking through town. Everybody wanted to get a glimpse of him, especially Zacchaeus, because Zacchaeus knew what I'm searching for is not getting what I want. My heart is still broken. And because he was a tax collector, no one wanted him through. And because he's short, he couldn't see over the crowd, so he was just kind of pushed in the back. So Zacchaeus found a tree, he climbed a tree, he overlooked the crowd. And I can just imagine that moment as Jesus came walking down and their eyes met. And out of the thousands of people that would have been there that day, Jesus looked at Zacchaeus in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to hang out with you at your house. How amazing would that be? In the midst of the crowded city, Jesus looked out and called Zacchaeus by name. And he's calling you too. And Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house and they had a meal together and 
And Zacchaeus, in that moment, we see his heart change. All of a sudden, he found the freedom that he was searching for, and it was in this man, Jesus, that was sitting across the table. And Zacchaeus, at that moment, said, I want to give everything up. I want to give everything up. I want to make everything right with everybody I've wronged because it's you, Jesus. It's not the money I was trying to make. It's not the prestige lifestyle I was longing for. It's you, and it's only you, and it's always been you, and it always will be you. That's where the freedom is. So what are you running after? What is the nature of your heart? Zacchaeus found freedom when he connected with Jesus and he allowed his heart to change towards Jesus. But many times we struggle with finding freedom because we may have seen Jesus, but we have not allowed our heart to be transformed towards Jesus. It needs a change to truly experience that. Finally, jot this down. True freedom must constantly be protected. True freedom must be constantly protected. We need to set up a defense system in our life because the Bible is very specific. The devil, Satan, he is real. And he is on the attack and he's coming after us. And the Bible calls him the father of lies. And he masquerades as an angel of light. So in other words, the devil uses things that appear good, things that seem right, to twist them and twist our thinking into following him and take steps away from Jesus. That is his tactic. His, another, his number one aim to pull us away from Jesus is our own selfishness. Our own selfishness. Because bottom line, Satan knows your heart. He knows the things that you desire. He knows the, the, the attitudes you have. He knows what you long for. And so he will tweak your thoughts to kind of bring pleasure to your heart's desire and begin to pull you away from Jesus. That's his ultimate goal. In the movie Independence Day 2, Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. In the movie Independence Day 2, there was a scene where they were fighting the aliens and they were just overwhelmed by the attacks. But then there was an open part in the ship and they said, let's go in there. And they went in there and they thought, now we can get to the heart of the ship and destroy it. But then they realized quickly that they were baited into a trap. And can I just gently say, Satan does the same thing. He opens, he shows what appears to be open doors only to bait you into traps. And the open doors he opens up are the desires of your heart. So can I gently say, be careful running after your own heart's desire. Because our goal is not to run after my heart's desire. My goal is to run after the heart of God. And when I run after the heart of God, freedom will be found. Look what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 again. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. He says to stand firm. This, this idea is something that Paul uses a lot to stand, especially in adversity, especially when things are overwhelmed and, and, and getting to us. And we need to realize that, that adversity will come. Adversity will come our way. And oftentimes in this world, like in the, in, the, in the movie Independence Day, there seems like there's no hope. There seems like there's no way to get out of this. It seems like the end is here. Have you ever been in that position? 
where it just seems like the junk of this world has completely overwhelmed you and there's no hope. But there is hope. There is hope. And can I just say, it's an absolute tragedy of the modern day church that sometimes people who are purchased out of slavery for freedom to turn around and volunteer themselves right back in the, into that same slavery, into, that, into those same poor choices, and then being, being found that you're dominated once again by other gods. Paul wrote here, do not let yourselves be burdened again. Don't let yourselves be burdened again. Don't fall back into those same traps, into those same things that tend to happen. It's almost like when you go fishing. How many of you guys have ever gone fishing and you catch and release, but you only find yourself catching the same fish? Ever been there? I've done that a couple times. And you see the same hook that you just cut off the other fish. And you begin to wonder, what is wrong with this fish? I mean, is this fish really that dumb that they're coming around and biting the same hook? I mean, at some point they need to realize the hook in the water with the worm, don't eat it. Tell your buddies. But you know what? We do the same thing, don't we? Satan puts these kind of hooks with these baits in the water. He tries to lure us back in and we find ourselves doing the same thing over and over again, making the same poor choices. Another thing that we tend to do is have an attitude that I'm good enough. I can do these things on my own. I don't need anybody else. I don't need anybody else in my life. And one of the biggest struggles in the American church is the attitude of entitlement. I mean, we have this attitude in America that we are constantly owed something. That someone, whether it's in the church or in this world, always owes us something. But can I gently say, we are not. We are not. Jesus died on the cross to pay our ransom so that for freedom we become his property. That we live our life for him. We are now under his lordship, his ownership. He is what guides our life. And it's no longer about me or what I want or what I desire. It's about living for him. And so we couple that attitude with the mindset that we can get through life on our own and we just find ourselves locking ourselves back up in slavery over and over and over again. And the problem with the self-proclaimed freedom that we tend to have is it just brings more junk in our life. It just brings more junk in our life. Look what Paul wrote in verse 2 of Galatians chapter 5. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you. Christ will be of no value to you. In other words, what the people that day were doing was, they were, okay, I trust Jesus but I'm still going to do the things of the law to kind of make myself right with God. I'm still going to go back to my normal routines. And we do the same thing today too, don't we? Well, I'm going to trust Jesus, but I'm going to kind of do my own thing. And when we do that, the for freedom clause gets lost. It gets lost because now we're property of ourselves. It's like we say, I will trust Jesus and all this stuff. Or I want Jesus, but... I, I, I want what Jesus has to give to me, but, and can I just be honest with you guys right now? There is no such thing as a but faith. 
I got your attention now, didn't I? But we add so many buts to faith, don't we? I want to live for Jesus, but. I want what Jesus gives, but. I want eternal life, but. And the buts always go back to the selfishness of our heart, of what we really want. It's kind of like we're trying to get what Jesus offers, but live life my way, and it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. You will never experience the freedom that Jesus gives by trying to live life your way. You're either, either all in or you're not. And this whole issue of faith and trust is really at stake here. To have faith in Jesus Christ is to trust his sacrifice, to be adequate in God's eyes, to save us who are the sinners, who make poor choices, and to believe that his sacrifice is in any way deficient, that it's not good enough, that I can do things on my own, is truly not to believe in him. See, there's two matters here. There is to believe, and to believe is, is the matter of the intellect. But the reality is this, our belief and our intellect always changes, and it often changes by our own selfishness and by the pullings of this world that's telling us what we believe and how we should believe it, and that completely adjusts, and that's constantly in battle with our faith. Our faith is the matter of will. It's the determination that I'm going to keep following Jesus and running towards him despite this world, despite the way this world is trying to pull me. In the movie, Independence Day 2, there was a battle between faith and belief as well. The belief that we are doomed and the faith that drove them to victory. And similarly speaking, we find ourselves in the same predicament, don't we? There is a battle in our souls of what we believe and the determination of our faith. There really is. And Paul deals with this struggle head on throughout Galatians chapter 5. And in verse 6, he circles back around with these words. Look at this. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. This cannot be overlooked. Faith is like the root in our journey. And love is the fruit of that. The faith by which believers are justified is operated through love. We strive to allow God to love us and love others through us. And the Greek word here for expressing or work can literally be translated as energizing itself. So in other words, Paul is saying faith is energized through love. It's like that old Energizer Bunny commercial. Remember that? He just keeps going and going and going. And that's what our faith is. Our faith survives through our ability to be loved and to love. That's the faith, that's our faith in Christ. That's the will. There is no such thing as an idle faith. There really isn't. Faith, faith must be active and going and moving. Jot this down in your notes. There needs to be a shift in our hearts from a focus on self to a focus on others. There needs to be that shift in our hearts from a focus on, a, on ourself to a focus on others. Look what Paul writes in verses 7 through 12 of Galatians chapter 5. He writes these words. You are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. 
Brothers and sisters, if I, am if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish that they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Now, Paul is using some very strong language here to say those people who are agitating you, who are pulling you away from God's truth, cut them out. Get them out of your life. Because they are not helpful to your journey at all. Paul likens this to like running a race, running a marathon, when people cut in on you. And the usage here implies when a runner is cut in on another runner and he either um, breaks up the stride or he knocks him down and knocks him out of the race. This is about knowing who is persuading you knowing the influences that are in your life. And oftentimes we are thrown into confusion because of the persuasions that we have in our life. And so be honest with yourself. Who do you surround yourself with? Who do you surround yourself with? Because it matters. Paul said in verse 9, a little yeast affects the entire batch. All it takes is one small influence to pull you away from Jesus. And it can pull you away from the freedom and the hope that he gives it all gets back to the most important question. What is freedom? What is freedom to you? I mean, honestly, what are you running after? What have you been longing for? Paul sums it all up in verse 13 when he writes these words. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. As I said, it all begins with the shift of our heart from focusing on ourself to focusing on others. And so how do we make that shift? Well, I think verse 13 really provides some good ways to make that shift. And I'm going to go through these pretty quickly because I think they're pretty self-explanatory. So jot these down in your notes. Number one, realize that you were called for freedom. Realize that you were called for for freedom. In other words, if you've given your life to Jesus, you are now the property of him and the, and the ransom that he paid. You now live for him and no one can pull you away from him. You are not the property of yourself. So number two, stop focusing on yourself. Stop focusing on yourself and your own desires. And number three, start focusing on others. Start focusing on on others. That's the ultimate goal. To find true freedom is not focusing on yourself. Because we've all experienced it. We long for these things that we believe will make us happy, that will bring freedom into our life. And then when we attain it, we haven't really found freedom. Because maybe, just maybe, this pursuit of freedom is not after my desires. It's not after my own heart, but after the heart of God. And as I said, I don't really want to ruin the movie for you. But I want to share something with you that happened in the movie. Spoiler alert once again. But there's a part in the movie where there's this UFO approaching the earth and the people didn't know what it was and they were fearful of it so they shot it down. And later they realized it was an ally. And I wonder how many times in our life that happens. There's allies in your life. There are. There's allies in your life. And the Bible is pretty specific when it says that we were never created to be alone. We were, cr we were created for community. 
And what tends to happen in our journey of faith is we have allies in our life who are there to help us keep to be accountable, who are there to help us make the right steps towards Jesus and not the wrong steps towards destruction, who sometimes will say things to guide us back to, to the right way towards Jesus that we don't like to hear. Because let's be honest, we don't like it when people tell us how to live or what we should do because our focus tends to be our own hearts and our own desires and our own selfishness. And so we sometimes surround ourselves with people who will tell us what we like to hear and who will motivate us to live life our way. But oftentimes that lead us, leaves us in destruction. Can I just gently say... Be careful that you're not pushing away the allies in your life. Because there's people who love you. And they're willing to say the hard things to keep you on the right steps, to keep you on the right track. Don't push them away. We need accountability partners in our life. We need mentors. We need the people who care enough about us to do that for us. We don't need more people to, to tell us what we want to hear they're not really our friends. They're not really concerned about the, the consequences that you're going to have to deal with. They're not. But there's friends who care about you deeply, who are truly concerned about the consequences you deal with by the choices you make that are there for you. That's who we strive to be as a church. We want to be a place of grace built on the foundation of truth. In other words, we love you no matter what. But our ultimate desire is to guide you closer to Jesus and the freedom that he gives. That's what the growth groups are all about. That's what the first step team is all about. That's why all of us are on staff are here. That's why we do what we do. The leadership at this church and everybody that serves here, we're here because of that. Don't push away the allies. Let's journey together to find the freedom that only comes through Christ. Because for freedom... Jesus has set us free. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you for the freedom that you give. Lord, you are truly an amazing God. You've given us so much grace and hope and love and we just long for you. Lord God, we want to run after you. Lord, you are our only hope. You are our ultimate desire. Lord, I don't know where everybody's at in this room. I don't know what is going on in their life. I don't know the circumstances that they're facing or what they're dealing with, but you do. You know us so intimately. You know the number of hairs that are on our head. And Lord God, like Zacchaeus in that tree, searching for you, you tell us when we search for you, you will find us. Lord God, thank you for that. Thank you for the hope that comes through you. And Lord God, thank you for the freedom that you give. We just love you so much. We give you all the glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen.